You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Jessica Posner and Kennedy Odege, authors of Find Me Unafraid, publishing by Echo on October 13th. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, normally at this point when I interview authors, I stop and I read I read a couple sentences about their life and their work, and I I sum it all up. But I actually think in this case, challenging as it's going to be for you all to sum up your your rich and and active lives, I want to ask you all to do that. And and Kennedy, I'll start with you. If, If you were to try to tell us very briefly how you came to write this book, what would you say? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh... I came to write this book because it was a it is a story of hope, and at the same time I wanted to share with my story with the world. You know what I mean? What I've passed through, and how can that, what my story be a story of inspiration? Mm-hmm. I also believe that writing, uh, having a book is a privilege for me. You know, I think so. It's a privilege because everybody has a story. I mean, so I thought my story will shine other people's story, and we realize that the the world is becoming a, a small village. So my story has impact on someone's life, and their story has impact, you know. So growing up in a very hard life as a, as a little boy, no hope that I'll be able to believe that I can do where I am today. So I thought this story can be really, I want to share this, because I survived. You survived, <laughs> you survived and you yeah. thrived. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that you said, and it might have been at your, your graduation address, a direct quote around hope, was that the importance of hope is that it reminds us of the promise of imagination and ingenuity. And I think that's so interesting. And I, I guess, you know, with, without that hope, you can't get to those next, those next places, correct? Yes. So there's this idea of uh, hope for me is how to live for tomorrow. You know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. I mean, you know, so believing that, seeing that it's possible, no matter what. I mean, and without hope, you are done. Yeah. You know I mean, the hope is that engine that keeps you moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the book is largely the story of how you came to find that hope after you know after this this very challenging beginning and 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 how Jessica interacted mm-hmm. with that story. So Jessica, please tell us a little bit about how how you came to write the book and and what mm-hmm. drove your part of the story. So I got to meet Kennedy when I studied abroad in Kenya and just really saw what a big place the world was and how people could play such an an amazing role in changing their own lives. And what we experienced together, both falling in love, building the organization, um, seeing these girls and their families and their community change was such a story that I know that we sort of wrote about as we were experiencing and then felt that, especially being young and wanting to kind of capture it now as it happened and then to share that with people so that people might connect to, you know, 21-year-old me studying abroad in Kenya, young Kennedy kind of seeing this bigger vision of hope and possibility and the merger of those two things. Yes. It's interesting because the book is told, 
you know, um, mm-hmm. from the individual points of view. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's very powerful how you, you unite at the end. And I think that that comment around sort of inspiring other people to try to break down the bigness of the problem mm-hmm. and, and make those problems smaller is fantastic. Would you have... Would you have a comment or advice about those that are trying to think this way, trying to think I've identified a problem and I know I want to try to accomplish some sort of solution to that problem or contribute to some sort of solution? Is there an overall piece of advice that you give young people when they ask you? Surely they must ask you now Mm -hmm. that that you're out and about and you've achieved so much. Do you you have anything that you say? I mean, I think it's it's about partnership and it's about collaboration and that each person brings something unique to the table but that you can't do it alone. And so what Kennedy and I learned is that we each have unique experiences and perspectives and skills that together are so much more powerful than either of us are as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so working and finding people who also see the problem or have experienced the problem and really following their guidance about how to address it and to just start. You know, I think that the beauty of what Kennedy did is that he saw all of these insurmountable problems and he bought a soccer ball. And he said, I have to do something. Whatever it is, I think his mother says in the book, um, you know, if, if a snake bites you, don't spend time looking for a spear, just use whatever stick you have. And I think that is something that can be a really an inspiration too. Yeah, I like that. So yeah, so you start with soccer and then you segue from soccer and and involving your neighbors and and your community in soccer and you segue that into theater also something that one wouldn't think of as sort of the roots of of huge community change but you use that to engage and to and to inspire hope so tell us a little bit about that oh thanks so much so what happened here is that i get a lot of inspiration from my my mother my mom and Something powerful is that we see problems as something, a huge giant. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know how to finish the giant. It's too big. And my mother, and sometimes you realize that you feel you are so poor that you can't do anything. Or you are so rich that you can't do anything. So what my mother told me was that everybody in this earth, as long as you're breathing, you can have an impact in somebody's life. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be poor. So for me, this became a very powerful tool. So uh, soccer ball was a way to bring community together. We came together around that belonging, hope that we, we come from this society together, you know. And then from there, we were able now to handle you know, gender equality through using theater. You know, we didn't have money to build schools. Right. So it became a way of hope. I mean, and making the community believe that they can change their own lives. So that brings me back to the idea of Everybody, you are in America, <laughs> you are in Canada, yeah. you are in Africa, no complaint. You can do something. That, that brings me to another question for you all. And, and I, I hate to say, okay, well, we're going to rush past what you've already accomplished and give you further challenges. But as I was reading the book and thinking of all that you've accomplished in this one area of the world, I then shortly thereafter read an article about the increasing um, violence in our inner cities in the United States. And... I wonder, and, and you've talked about a lot about gender equality being at the key to community mm-hmm. and, and how that, that one thing can change so much. Do you, talk to, do you talk to people in the States about 
using your model that you're using over there to bring to grassroots in the United States? And what are, you, what are your thoughts on those challenges? That's a great question. Um, I think that there is so much that we're learning about our model of how do you really get into an urban community. And urban poverty is complicated, and all of the challenges are so multifaceted and also interlinked. And how do we take what we're learning about solutions and impact and what works and transfer that to similar, although different, yeah. structures here in, in the U.S.? And so I think that talking to young people is one way we're really bridging that gap, looking at other organizations here, and, and just seeing you know what are best practices that we can share and stories of inspiration that we can take from one another. Does that, trust, does that question drive you crazy on a certain level, though? <laughs> Do you sort of have a reaction which is like, I'm doing everything I can and I've accomplished so much and and I don't I don't know that I can you know solve the entire world's problems or do you say oh yeah I, I, I still have the energy and I do mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. you know notate everything that I'm learning and be sure to share it and be sure to ex- expand it out I, I don't know I almost felt I almost felt self-conscious asking that question mm-hmm. because I think that a lot of what I wanted to say to both of you is you've done so mm-hmm. much already but but I I again mm-hmm. I also wanted to say oh okay and what more can we learn and what more can be done? I think there's you're, you can never do enough. That the that you're, you know, I sort of never wake up and feel like, oh, yes, I've done what I wanted to do. I mean, in Kibera, in Mathare, in, in Nairobi, in the communities that we were working with, every day it sort of feels like so much has been accomplished, and yet that opens up, it makes me see how much more is possible and how much potential there is in our girls and how that p- potential has to be fulfilled. And so I think there is an almost insatiable energy to work towards that. And I think that as, you know, an American, thinking about what we've done and what we've learned in Kenya and how could that impact problems here at home is something that I I think about all the time. Through the book, it's clear how much will and determination both of you have. And I just, I, I wonder how how tired you get. I mean, I don't want to, again, I don't want to, I mean, do, do, do you have, and you, you both appear so positive and, and so willing to just go right to it, go right to the center of the challenge. Are there, are there days when it just feels overwhelming and, and un, impossible or not? Or do you just say, okay, you know what, every day I'm going to do whatever small thing I can do. There are days where you just feel like you can't make progress fast enough or something happens just it's totally devastating. And I think that you have to experience that day and experience that loss and then get up the next day and start trying again. Yeah. yeah. Now, how is your mom, Kennedy? Well, she's, she's, uh, she's alive. She's thriving. And we always talk almost every day. Yeah. yeah she's a strong woman. And so now, what is what? How is your time spent? Are you, are you moving back and forth between the states and and Kenya, or how how do you how do you split your time? We try to balance both time. You know, sometimes uh, I think fifty fifty for now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's that much. Yeah. I think what we should do also is just sort of step back for a minute and and sort of describe Kabira for those that might be listening to this. And, and not yet have read the book, which, of course, I highly recommend that they do for so many different reasons. But if I remember correctly, you say that this this slum is about the size of Central Park, which I think is about 780 um, acres, 
and yet it's populated. What's the population? What's the size of the population? No one knows for sure. There's a lot of contention about what is the population, but estimates range somewhere from 700,000 to a million people. Yeah, in so, that tiny space. In that tiny space. So it's potentially one of the most densely populated places on the planet. In the world. And it does not receive any type of social services, correct? So very fragmented. Um, they're starting to, to build a few small roads, but mostly no roads, um, informal stolen power, um, no water pipe to houses. Um, what else would you say? Yeah, so what really catches me about this community is that the idea of them really is to keep thriving, no matter what, you know what I mean? And I'm really a little bit saddened to see that women that I knew were selling the same amount of vegetables. Like uh, 10 years ago, they still doing the same thing. Yeah. So there is no social mobility. It's very tiny, you know what I mean? And it's very easy to give up. And it's very easy to get into crime. It's very easy because of the, the isolation. You know what I mean? So that's where I came from. But at the same time, uh, we saw, I saw the hope and opportunity that if you come now to our school, if you go to school for girls, you'll be surprised to see the doctors, the future lawyers, you know, presidents. Because you can see, and make me so sad. Why? Recently, our girls were winning in the national music competition. Mm -hmm. And think about it. How many brains have been wasted? Yeah, right, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it gives me hope of doing more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, in, in doing research, I, obviously I read the book, and then I went around and I looked at um, interviews that you all have given um, to national media and your commencement speech and everything else, but I also looked at your um, your wedding video. It's there. It's on It's on YouTube. It was a very cute little thing. One of the things that I thought was so funny and sweet was that your sister, your younger sister, told yeah. an anecdote about to her friends. One of her friends said... Oh, I, I, I hear that your sister um, is either working with Gandhi or is Gandhi. There was, <laughs> yeah, there was a couple. Yeah, what was is Gandhi? Right? Yeah. So I think that that's that's a lot. That's a lot to live up to. Yeah, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I, we, I, I feel like we know um, a lot more really mm -hmm. about Kennedy's background when we meet him at this moment in time in the story. And so can you tell us a little bit about sort of your life and your upbringing and, and sort of even before you, you got to Wesleyan? Because yeah. you grew up you grew up in Denver? In Denver. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Denver, sort of in the Rocky Mountain West, in like a pretty... Um, I have two younger siblings. I'm the oldest. We're both oldest children. Um, so I have a younger brother and sister. And my parents, um, you know, we're very close. And my parents, I think, always sort of believed about doing the right thing and looking at the world around me and sort of how I could play a role in that. And I was always just very determined. I was interested in whatever I was doing, and I kind of threw myself into that headfirst. But I, the world, you know, growing up in Denver, it's sort of such a different world, and I think that it, I didn't know how big the world was outside of that. And so that was really what changed so much for me when I when I met Kennedy and went to Wesleyan and... I went to, you know, a public high school in Denver, um, and that was an amazing change. But you, almost from the minute that you set foot, you were determined to live where no mm -hmm. one else had lived <laughs> and to go as close to the situation mm -hmm. 
as yeah. possible. And there's a there's a moment in in your life there where you you leave and you go stay with another family, and, and you can just feel your restlessness because you're yeah. not you're not in the thick of it, and you're not pondering you know the solution and the and the and the and the challenge. And so I guess yeah. I guess I hear you saying that you sort of always that's something that you've always done that you've always gone to the heart of it. Yeah. Do you think? No, I think so, and I think that part of what was so powerful about that was that, you know, people are just people, and that I can grow up by some random lottery of birth. I was born in Denver, Kennedy was born in Kibera, but there's so much that is the same between people, and so when Kennedy told me that he didn't think I could live in Kibera, I thought, well, you do, but I knew that there was this fundamental difference, which is that I have the privilege to be able to leave whenever I wanted to, which at that point he didn't have, and so... I think really seeing and being part of the community and living there just gave me such insight into the resilience and the power of that community, but also what the needs were. Right. Yeah, you talk a lot about the resilience and how impressed you are with that. And I think that we have to, you know, what you both are trying to say, that with hope comes mm-hmm. the resilience, and, yeah. and without it comes the, 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 the sort of fear of, of ultimate defeat mm-hmm. and just giving up. So now talk a little bit about writing the book because I, I often we talk about this the story of of the author's books and then I always ask questions about okay so what were your what were your writing habits and what did you find challenging and what did you find particularly rewarding did you all write individually and then show each other your pages or how did how did the actual process work um yeah no, I think that we both sort of we, we sat together and really mapped out what were the stories we wanted to tell and what were the moments in each of our lives that felt important and sort of the overall narrative and so kind of fleshing those out and then sitting down and writing those and then coming together and then kind of figuring out how do each of our stories come together another question that I like to ask people is who who are your first readers you know besides sharing it with each other who did you give your pages to for for sort of comments and 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 criticism Hmm. or was it maybe you just exchanged it with the two of you um, one of our first readers, early readers, uh, Nick Kristoff was so generous and, oh, well, that's a, and gave that's us a good some one. amazing, really insightful feedback. Um, some of our board members and kind of closest supporters and my family, my yeah. parents read it and that was really great for them to see it. Who else did any? That was about it. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for this book. Obviously, thank you so much for your work. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and she is quite interested in making the world a better place. And I wonder if, if there's anything you have to say to to those those types of young, you know, the young, virtually the young, privileged American kids. I know that so many of them have the desire to go beyond their birthright, you know. And, she, and we talk about it a lot that that her fortune of being born where she was born. And I think that. Get started. That you don't yeah. have to start big. You yeah. can start in your own backyard. You can start. Um, you can start really small. You can start by just learning. Yeah. About what is happening in the world, and how you can just play some small role in that. Terrific. Anything you would add? Yeah, I think for mostly American middle class, I think uh, they are much more privileged. Yeah. And sometimes it's good to recognize that you are privileged yeah. as a kid, yeah. and know that uh, the 
opportunities that you have in your life, many people don't have it, you know, maybe around your community, you know, then how, what little can you do? You know, you don't have to do big things, you know. And at the end of the day, when you go back to sleep, you as a kid, you feel so happy that you have done something, something. important. And what's important for us is that to make the world a better place than we find it. Yeah. <laughs> Simple like that. Yeah. And never been easy. You know what I mean? Never been easy. Doing something good is not easy. Right? Yeah. But you have to put your eyes on the sun. You have to keep on looking at that light. Terrific. Thank you both so very much for all that you've done. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much we for talking to us. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts. All brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.